this morning, I want us to lean in and look at a story which is found in 1 Kings chapter 18, a story about the prophet Elijah and his stand for God against the prophets of Baal and King Ahab. But let me give us first a quick overview, a quick recap of the story and set some context for us this morning. You've got to understand today that the book of 1 Kings follows on from the book of Samuel. And in the book of Samuel, what we find is King David unifying the tribes of Israel into a kingdom. In fact, God gives David a promise that from his line, from his lineage would come a messianic king who would establish God's kingdom over all the nations and fulfill the promises made to Abraham. Again, as Jake touched on last week, this foreshadows the coming of the person of Jesus Christ. And so what you've got to understand is First and Second Kings, it focuses on the line of kings that follow after David, none of which we know this morning, fulfill the promise of God, but rather they drive the people of Israel and the nation far from him. And in fact, in the midst of this line of kings, what we, who we meet is a king named Ahab, and the Bible says this about him on your notes or on the screen, it says this. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who had gone before him. It came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria, and Ahab made wooden idols. Get this, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord to anger, uh, the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who had gone before him. See, we learn here in this passage, in this text, that King Ahab, worst of all the kings, not only does he marry a foreign woman named Jezebel, who we learn in the Bible causes a whole lot of problems for God and for God's people, but also what we learn is that he marries the nation of Israel into marriage of worship of idols and the worship of Baal. So in the midst of King Ahab's great evil, God in his sovereignty raises up a great prophet by the name Elijah. He speaks and acts on behalf of God. And this is what we learn about his first encounter with King Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 17. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. And so what we learn here is that Elijah pronounces this judgment on, the, on King Ahab and the people. The rain stops, three years pass, and over those three years we see over that time, Jezebel begins to kill the true prophets of God. Ahab was not yet repented, he hadn't turned from his ways, and we're also introduced to the false prophets of Baal. So again, God calls Elijah, and then Elijah sets a challenge to King Ahab. Gather the false prophets of Baal and all the people together, and here's the challenge. Let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it, and I'll do also. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. See, Baal is supposedly the false god of the sun. He's the god of many things, but they recognized him as the god of the sun. And so seemingly this is an easy task for the false prophets of Baal. Because if anyone could cause a fire in this moment, it was the God of the sun. But he doesn't. First Kings 18, 28 tells us this. The false prophets, they cried aloud. They cut themselves, as was their customs, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. When midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Get this. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. See, now Elijah begins to repair an altar before the Lord, an altar that was in ruins, he places the wood and then he places the bull on top of it. And just to disarm any suspicion that perhaps he may have tampered with 
or maybe he placed a fire beneath it. He instructs the people to pour four pots, four pots of water atop of the altar. And in fact, he digs a trench for that water to be collected. Now, I tell you all of this context this morning to tell you and to show you that along Elijah's journey, everything seems to be at odds with Elijah. Every turn, it seems to be an outweighed, outnumbered, outmatched battle. But we know this morning that we serve a God who is faithful. And in fact, God is so faithful that he answers Elijah by fire, showing himself to Elijah and the people of God as the true, one true God. In church this morning, that's our story. But before we get along further in this morning, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, this morning, we incline ourselves as students again to your word. God, we pray that you'll speak beautifully to us from the beauty of your spirit. And God, we thank you for what your word says. Transform us, mold us, and conform us more into the likeness of your son. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Well, church, it's no secret this morning to any of us as you look at me that I'm in fact a very, very short but handsome young man. In fact, you put me next to my wife who was supremely tall. I look even more minute in comparison. It's no secret this morning that I am a short, short man. Uh, but I remember the first time when me and Steph were beginning to, uh, me and Steph were beginning to date, and she decided that she was going to buy me a gift. Now, let me just point out, this was the first gift she'd ever got me, and she watched on as I began to open this gift. Now, at this point of our relationship, I didn't know whether to be offended or to be appreciative of the gift, because what you got to understand is I could have been offended because she'd gone all the way out of her way to go to all the stores to find me shoes that would make me seem a little bit taller. <laughs> Now, this encounter, let me tell you, this encounter reminded me of two moments within our engagement. Firstly, I remember one day when we were engaged, I went over to her house and she was sitting there and she started to mourn. And I was like, Steph, why are you mourning? She, not, not at the fact that she was marrying me, but at the fact that beyond marrying me, she realized in that moment that she'd never again be able to wear high heels. Um, beyond that, as well in my engagement, I remember telling my siblings, hey, we're getting married, I'm engaged. And before even congratulations left their lips, Literally, it was the teasing and mocking at the fact that now they're going to have to buy me a step box so that when we exchange vowels, I'd be able to reach your face. You know, it's no secret this morning. It's, the truth is this. When it's come to the issue of my height, the odds have always been against me. Let me ask you this morning. Have you ever felt out of your depth? Have you ever felt like the things in your life were a bit too much for you to handle? Have you ever felt this morning like the responsibilities, the challenges, the things that are happening in your life were far too great? In other words, friends, let me ask you this morning, have you ever felt like the odds were against you? See, Elijah says this in the midst of all that's happening in his story. Get this, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. In other words, what Elijah is saying is I'm outnumbered, I'm outweighed, I'm outmatched. The odds seem to be against me. So what do you do this morning when things seem to be working in opposition to you? What do you do this morning when it seems like your back's up against a wall? What do you do this morning when the numbers aren't quite adding up, friend? What do you do this morning when the odds are against you? I've titled this message this morning, When the Odds Are Against You. See, if you were to isolate and look at the story of Elijah objectively without God, what you'd begin to assume is that Elijah, before he even starts, is defeated. See, what you begin to assume without God is he's outnumbered one to 450. What you start to see is King Ahab and his stubbornness rejects the message which, which Elijah has come to present him. 
What you see is Jezebel begins to kill the people who are like him. And what you see is that his opposition hold prominent positions within society. For Elijah, it seems as though they have the upper hand. Can I suggest to us, I really believe that sometimes too often we look at our lives in the same light. We look as though we isolate and objectively look at our situations as though God was never a part of the plan. See, this leads me to recognize this this morning. You need to know that when the odds were against Elijah, and friend, when the odds are against you this morning, you ought to give God first place. Touch your neighbor, tell them, give God first place. See, 1 Kings chapter 18 says this, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Verse 20 says, So Ahab sent for the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, Get this, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is your God, follow him. The people sat silent and answered him, not a word. See, what Elijah is doing here is he's presenting them with a decision. Israel, you're in the mess that you're in. Israel, you've seen no rain for these last three years because your object of worship has been not God, but the idols and the Baal. You gave Baal and your idols first place and it has led you to this very outcome. In other words, he's saying your wayward lives are a product of your wayward beliefs. The truth is this this morning. Who you are today is a product and an outcome of your beliefs. And if you're like me, you hear that and you start to think, man, if, that, if my life right now is a product of my belief, there's some beliefs that definitely need to be changed. Um, last week I put up on my Instagram, but I'd called my wife a hoarder that day. We were having a strong discussion. Uh, and, and I said, honey, you're a hoarder, you keep stuff. And then she goes, I want to show you something. So she walked me into the garage and she pointed out eight boxes that stood in our garage. She said, Kaylin, these are all your boxes full of all the books that you have. And then I started to eat my own words and I was like, okay, maybe I'm the collector, not the hoarder. I call myself a collector of books, a reader of none. Um, and so I decided I would start to sort through these books. And so I was like, man, I'm going to bring some books into the office for our interns to use and utilize. So I went out and bought a bookshelf and decided I'll put this bookshelf together. And after hours of throwing this around, saying a few choice words to the, uh, to the product, screwing screws in the wrong places, I got to the end and I felt a sense of accomplishment. And then I picked up this last piece, no word of a lie. I picked up the last piece, I held it in my hand, said, oh, I've finished this task. I looked at it and realized in that moment that in my hand I was holding the first piece that I was meant to start with that holds the whole bookshelf together. And I realized two thoughts, two things occurred in my mind. Firstly, Kaylin, this instruction manuals would have been helpful in this instance, but we don't like to look at those, do we, guys? Um, the second thought was, listen, what you start with matters. What you put first matters. Because here's the truth this morning, what you put first will ultimately determine the outcomes in your life. Let me tell you today, your life will go in the direction of your strongest beliefs. See, we see Elijah and what we see in him is his confidence, his obedience, his faith, his trust, the actions that he takes and the outcomes he experienced. He experienced. And, they, and this is what we know. They were all a result of him putting God first in his life. See, his decisions, friend, were a bright byproduct of his belief in God. So you need to know today that your view of who God is will form who you are and inform the decisions which you make. 
Let me say that again because that preached better than you responded. Your view of who God is will form who you are and inform the decisions that you make. See, let me ask you this morning, church, does God have your first place? Does God have first place in your relationships and in your marriage? Does God have first place in your friendships? Does God have first place in your hangouts? Does God have first place in your job, your education, your finances? Let me ask you this morning, when it comes to the things of life, do you give God the first of what you do? When it comes to the things of your life, do you seek Him out in prayer first? Do you go to the Word of God to know Him more first? Do you seek Him out and His presence through the experiences of worship first? See, when God is first, it'll shape who you are and produce the right outcomes for your life. Like a button-up shirt, if you start with the wrong button, everything else will be out of place. If you don't start with God, friend, let me tell you this morning, nothing in your life will be right. Let me echo the words of Elijah to us this morning. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is truly God, follow him. See, when the odds are against you this morning, I want to encourage you to give God first place. Let me further emphasize this point this morning by giving you the second point which is when the odds are against you, friend, don't return to idols. Turn to your neighbor, tell them don't return to idols. I'm gonna make a bit of an embarrassing confession to us all this morning, first time I've shared this publicly. Uh, But in year 13, my school loved me. And they loved me because I was such a good student, always sat there, read my book. I'm kidding, that's a complete lie. Or I was a very distracted, distracted young man. I was loud, I was trying to be class clown, I was trying to gain approval from everyone, from being uh, silly in my classes. But I remember in year 13 when everyone was deciding what do they do beyond school. And so my school decided to invite me into a meeting and they said, Caelan, we love you so much that we think you should do an extra year of school. Well, that's the narrative I tell myself anyway, but really it was because I had three uh, credits short of university entrance. And so I was obedient. I went back to college for year 14, unheard of. Uh, And what I noticed is my focus should have been on passing those three credits to get to university. My focus should have been on the academic side of school. But let me tell you, because I was so used to going to school to eat my lunch, to hang out with friends, to be class clown, I lost sight of the, of the goal and I fell back into the same practices. Let me tell you this morning, Bible says this, Proverbs 26 verse 11, love this. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. You know, the people of Israel, they've sinned against God by throwing themselves into worship of Baal and idols. They worshiped Baal and the idols. And this is what continues to happen throughout the history of Israel. What you see is God shows his faithfulness the people return to their idols. God shows his sovereignty, the people return to their idols. God shows how good he is, his goodness, and the way that he acts and responds to humanity, the people return to their idols. God shows that he's in full control, full well, full knowledge of what's gonna happen, the people return to their idols. Friend, the people kept returning to their idols and the old practices which they used to practice. Now let me define what an idol is this morning. An idol is any person or thing that consumes your thoughts, your words, your time, your energy, or money other than God. See, I'm here to remind you this morning, if God has delivered you from idols, friend, don't return to the place of idols. Hear me this morning. I know for some people in this room, the waiting on a relationship part is hard. It might be difficult, but let me tell you this morning, your satisfaction won't be found in the idols of pornography or sleeping around. It's found in God. 
Hear me this morning. You may be in this room and things might be a little bit tight financially, but let me remind you this morning, your security isn't found in the idol of your possessions, your work, your grind. It's found in God. I know this morning that the opportunity that looks so great in your life, but God closed the door. Your big break friend isn't in the idol of that opportunity. It's in God. Let me tell you this morning, I know your situation may be overwhelming you to the point of burnout and breakout right now. But friend, your peace this morning won't be found in the idol of drugs, alcohol, or substances. Friend, your peace is found in God. Let me encourage somebody today. Stop returning to the idols of the world, expecting the satisfaction and the experiences that you'll only ever truly experience and find in God. See, while the people ran to their idols, I love that Elijah ran to our God. He ran to our God, obeying, trusting, following, and being directed and led by him, never losing sight. James chapter four, verse seven, I love this. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, get rid of those idols, and he will flee from you. You know, sometimes I think we read this verse and we think, all right, in my strength, I've got to resist the devil. In my strength, after I've resisted the devil, then he'll run away from me. And then I can submit to God after the devil's left. But here's the order of this scripture again. Submit first to God. Resist then the devil, and then the devil will flee from you. Catherine Kuhlman, a great healing evangelist of her time, she said this, when Jesus becomes more real to you than the sickness in your body, then you'll be healed. In other words, what she is saying to the people is she was saying, take your eyes off the fixation of your problems and your pains. Make the reality of Jesus so secure in your life that you don't no longer need to find security in things or positions or wealth, all these idols that you keep running to. Make Jesus real in your life. See, what she's saying this morning is this, the bigger he is, the smaller the things in your world become. The greater the reality of Jesus, the less the reality of those idols. Let me tell you today, the more Jesus becomes real to you, the less you'll be attracted to the things of the world. So let me ask you this morning, church, what are those idols for you? What are the things in your life that are outside of God, which are consuming your thoughts, your words, your time, your energy, your money outside of God? What are the idols for you? Friend, because I really believe today that you need to lay those down. See, when the, idol, when the odds are against you, can I encourage somebody today, don't return to idols. My final point is this this morning, if the keys would join me. You need to know today that when the odds are against you, church, you better believe today that God will show up. God will show up. First Kings chapter 18, verse 36 to 39. I love this. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Get this. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Did God stop there? No. It continues and says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now get this. Now, when the people saw this, when the people experienced God showing up, listen to this, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Friend, God will show up in your life this morning. God will show up in your searching and your seeking. 
God will show up in the areas of your life that you need him most. Let me tell you this morning, desperate situations require desperate faith. If you're in a situation right now that seems too much for you, you feel like there's a desperation and an urge to get out of this place, let me tell you this morning, desperate situations require a desperate faith. And we know this morning that we serve a God who answers by fire. Elijah prays and then God shows up. God showed up, the Baal and the false prophets. God showed up to assume his position. God showed up to display his power, his authority, his sovereignty. God shows up in a way that tells the people, you can't be divided in your loyalty and your allegiance to me because everything is under my feet. Can I submit to you today the thought and the idea that perhaps the situations that are happening in your life this morning, though they're not authored by God, are allowed by Him to show His authority in your life, to deepen your dependency on Him and Him alone. You know, the journey 2016, my wife and I got married and uh, we decided that we'd start to try to have kids. And so we went through this long journey and we saw disappointment after disappointment. And I remember one day being here in this chapel and I got a call and I dropped everything to run home because we just lived over there. So I ran home. Um, and she, we sat there and she cried. We mourned together as we'd just learned that we'd had the first miscarriage. Then it happened again. And I think actually it happened a third time. And we started to lose sight of, of the hope started to lose sight of the promise, but we trusted in God. And we began to pray, we began to petition God. And we knew that even if a child was something that God would not produce physically through us, we knew that God would provide one way or another, whether it adoption or bangaying or whatever it is. So we continued to try, we continued. Sorry. And you know what? There were so many complications to having Alia. There were so many complications that surrounded her birth. There were so many complications that happened in the doctor's room. There were so many tears that we shed, but we held on to faith. And God showed up and gave us the greatest miracle in our life. Yeah, you guys can praise God for that. But let me tell you another story. So we decided this year that we'd start to try again, and we saw no results. And we were wondering what was happening in this, in this season of our life again. And then we went to the doctors because Steph was having a few complications. And the doctors said to her, Steph, um, either you've miscarried again or you have cancer. What an extreme difference. And so we got together in God's faithfulness, remembering that God is faithful. We began to pray and petition heaven. And then the doctor said, actually, what we'd love you to do is go get an ultrasound so we can check if there's like remains or if you've got cancer. And so we went to the ultrasound office. And she was sitting there and the ultrasound lady was just hovering over as they do. And she began to look at the screen and the ultrasound lady goes, oh my goodness. And Steph goes, what, what, do I have cancer? And she goes, there's two legs, two arms, a fully beating heart, you're pregnant. And so there's my announcement this morning. But it wasn't, it's not glory for that moment. Here's what I loved. Just yesterday, um, Alia Jane was sitting with me, my, my daughter was sitting with me and she goes, she looked at me with curiosity and suspicion. She said, dad? I said, yes. She goes, I know how mummy got her baby in the tummy. And I started panicking. I was like, all right, ask your mum. And then she said, dad, I know how mummy got her baby in her tummy. And I said, how? And she goes, I prayed. She said, I prayed and mummy got a baby in her tummy. For the last year, she's been praying fervently that God would provide by the means of a sibling and by a, by the, yeah, you can praise God for that this morning. 
All of that to say this morning, here's what I know. I don't know much. I went to year 14. I went all the way to year 14. Don't look like much. I'm short in appearance, all right. But here is what I know this morning. Here's what I believe to know is true. That we serve a God who answers by fire. We serve a God who will show up at the right time with the right things that we might need. And here's the truth. He shows up and He might not bring what we expected. But I'm here to remind you today that when you pray, when you seek Him, when you incline your heart towards Him, when you search Him out through the Word of God, when you come to Him in prayer, when you come to Him in desperation, God will show up. And here's what He does. He shows and reveals to us even more who He is. He reveals His character, His goodness and His nature. I really believe this morning that you may be in this room. You've been praying, God, answer by fire. And you've been met with silence. I really believe that there's people in this room this morning. You've been praying, God, provide this miracle. And God has been silent on that. I really believe that there's people in this room and you've been praying and praying and praying and you're barely holding on to hope. Let me encourage you this morning. In your desperation, God will meet your need. God is a God who answers by fire. Come on, somebody. God is a God who answers by fire. God is a God who will show up even in the midst of our mess. So you better believe today that when the odds, friend, are against you, you ought to give God your first place. You better not return to idols today. And you better watch as God shows up. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I really believe that as I was speaking about not returning to idols, God laid this on my heart, but there's people in this room. And God's saying, would you lay down those idols that you keep running to and run back to me? See, while the false prophets ran to their idols, Elijah ran to God. So whatever it is, friend, would you just begin to suit your heart this morning? Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, reveal to me the things and the idols in my life that I've given first place that you alone deserved. What are those things, Lord, that are consuming my thoughts, my words, my time, my energy, and my money? And God, I lay it down at this altar this morning, the altar of sacrifice. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, that you're high and lifted up. We exalt you. We honor you. God, we say that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we give you today first place. And God, we say that we make you the reality in our life so that the things around me become less and less. And God, we thank you today that you're the God who always shows up at the right time. And so right now in this moment, oh God, as you've revealed to us the things that we've put in the place that you deserve, Lord, we lay it down at the altar of sacrifice this morning. Lord, we thank you that you fill those places with your Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Still with every head bowed and every eye closed. Church, we never like to finish our services without giving a people, people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. I really believe today, friend, that you need to, there's some people in this room, you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, you need to give him your first place. Give him first place in your life. Here's the truth today. You were created on purpose for a purpose. You were created for life and life in abundance. You were created for relationship with God. But the reason we don't experience these things is because of this word called sin. Sin is this, sin is to miss the mark. Sin is to choose our ways above God's ways. In fact, the Bible says that the wages or the penalty of the sin is equal to death. You and I, friend, were dead in our sins. But God, in His grace, in His mercy, He didn't want to leave us in that place. So what did He do? He sent His Son who lived holy and blamelessly, yet walked to a cross to take upon Himself the death that you and I deserved. 
In fact, it's by accepting him as our Lord, by believing in him and confessing with our mouth that he is Lord, that we can have forgiveness for our past, security of eternity in heaven, and a new life today. And so if that's you this morning, if you're saying, I want to start this relationship with God, I want to say yes to Jesus. The moment I'm going to count down from three, and all you need to do is give me a little bit of a wave so I know who it is I'm praying for this morning. Awesome, here we go. Three, God loves you, has a plan and a purpose for your life. Two, he's standing at the door of your heart saying, would you let me in? One, if that's you this morning, friend, would you mind lifting your hand nice and high? If you're saying yes, count me in that prayer. I want to say yes to Jesus and start a relationship with him. See anyone? Awesome. Well, church, we're going to pray this prayer together. So why don't you repeat this after me? Everyone say, dear Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Today, I give my heart to you and I turn from my sin and make you the Lord of my life. Today is a new day, and I'm set free in Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, let's celebrate every single decision this morning made for Jesus.